I think the, the choices we make right now need to develop a new economic system, and that economic system can eventually benefit the entire world, but it has to start locally and it has to start within our own choices. And when we choose to make that change and we start seeking out other people that are like-minded and not even like fully like-minded, like when I have my community discussions, we have a whole range of different people in that conversation. But at the end of the day, our main goal is to be aware that everyone in this conversation is, they want change. And whether we all want change in the same thing or we want change in different things, we're just aware that the social structure is changing and we all need to talk about it. That once again was Julia Pewick. I'm your host, Michael Dunphy. This is the Further Liberation Podcast. Julia and I have already gotten together once and had a talk, so if this is the first time you're hearing her voice, then I encourage you to go listen to the first episode, and then this one will make a lot more sense. But if not, and you've already listened, then sit back, relax, and enjoy the talk. Thank you for tuning in. great awesome Mm -hmm. so how are you i'm good how are you i'm really good very well excited to be here yeah me too Mm -hmm. did you get a chance to listen to part one i did yeah i did is that why is that how you came up with all the extra bits and pieces that you want to talk about now yes i did um yeah because listening to it it was very much like first I did want to make the correction of when Mm. I was talking about um, universal basic income Mm. um, being or potentially being the norm in one country. And I believe I said Italy, but I meant Spain. Right. Yeah. And I encourage everyone to fact check me always. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I did when I was listening to it and I have my notes over here. So if if I'm staring over here, that's why. Okay. Yeah. Um, It was very much brought to my attention that I was speaking about the old paradigms and the things we're shifting out of. And those are really important to speak about. And those are really important to keep in mind right now. But as we're moving into the new paradigm, the revolution, the evolution, whatever we want to call it, I think it's important to talk about what we can do to take those steps forward. Okay. I think that's a whole new world of conversation. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, it is important to be critical, but if we're stuck in the criticalness and we're not discussing, for lack of a better word, the positive steps or the um, even just the steps forward, then we're missing a we're missing a good chunk of it. So yeah. that's going to take the next two hours. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So where do we begin? Like, how? Uh, what are those steps? So, whatever you want to call it, the revolution of consciousness, the evolution the moral revolution i've seen it called so many different things mm-hmm. but every revolution in history has shown up in a way that has been abnormal for the mass amount of people or just like normal society in general normal mm-hmm. society in general mm-hmm. and so if some of these ideas sound kind of foreign or too simple or too complicated that's okay yeah. I just ask people to listen and be open and not necessarily j- judge, mm. um, but but just to, to to critically examine it. Yeah, exactly. And 
so I, I want to start with discussing self-responsibility in the removal of old ideas. Mm-hmm. And I want to start in a very simple spot. Um, we as humans have fight or flight within us. And I like to say we have fight, flight, freeze, or choice. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I dig that. That's very cool. Thank you. Uh, and so in that, I want to I want to discuss the component of choice. We are, I want to say hardwired, but it's not hardwired. We are primed, we are socialized into this fight, flight, freeze response. And if we're unaware of our choice in this matter, we continue to perpetuate this. And in the past, this was necessary. There was people attacking us. There was animals attacking us. There was, like, you you didn't know who was coming at you and what was happening. And as we develop as a society, unless you're really into, like, sociological or psychological discussion, you're not necessarily going to have the language tools or understanding or maybe spiritual endeavors as well to make the changes in those components. You're not even going to be aware that you have a choice in those matters. And so as we're moving or as we have moved from real threat to like what is going to attack us right now, it's very minimal in comparison to what it previously was, not to say there's no threats mm-hmm. in this day and age, but the choice to calm down our fight, flight, or freeze, the choice to take control of our emotional intelligence and our emotional body, and this includes our thought patterns, is, I think, essential to the revolution or evolution that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, 100% agree with all that. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so I think... Where I want to, where I'm trying to start with this, because it is a really big conversation, is that when making this distinction, it is important to, in the moment, make, like when our fight or flight goes off, Mm -hmm. it is opportunistic of us to take that moment to calm ourselves down. Mm. And we might not think that this makes as big of an impact as. It really does. Mm -hmm. It seems like such a simple thing to do. But like we talked about in the last podcast, we only accept what we find normal within ourselves. Mm. So if we can take these opportunities to calm ourselves down when it seems normal to have the fight, flight, freeze response, and we make the choice to calm ourselves down, we're actually training our brains to stay calm in these situations. And once we've trained ourselves enough, like 21 days to make a pattern, right? But Mm -hmm. can can anyone truly stay calm for 21 days? It takes effort. It takes choice. It takes Mm self-responsibility. But once we as humanity make the choice to say, look, I want to trust other people. I want to know in these moments that when I'm calm, I can make a choice instead of a reaction. And that's the key distinction, I think. Mm-hmm. If we're able to make choices instead of reacting, then we're able to move from the old paradigm, which is our thought patterns being repeated, being repeated, being repeated, mm-hmm. into creating new thought patterns that are, that are choices in situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there has to be that uh, space in between the reaction and the response. It's like the fight or flight is an instant thing. You know, like you said, that 
uh, at one point it was necessary where like, well, obviously there are still situations in this world where it's still necessary as well, but it's just not as common. But like, you know, when we were like hunter gatherers or something and we came up against a bear or something like that, obviously the fight or flight would either make us fight depending on how big the bear is or, or, or run, you know what I mean? But, uh, that is a very useful response in that it gives you all the energy you need to make the decision that's necessary. But in our kind of situation, in our world, there's a lot of situations that we find ourselves in that aren't actually life-threatening, but we've just connected it to something that we perceive to be life-threatening in our own consciousness. So it has the same response. Like you might... Um, open a piece of mail that is a bill that you weren't expecting and have that same guttural feeling of all of your blood rushing to your extremities. You know, it's the same, oh my God, and it feels like your your stomach is in like a knot or your heart is trying to jump out of your chest. It's the same kind of response. And normally the, the idea behind that is that you have to do something with that energy. You have, like it, it gives you that response and you're either there to fight or flight. But like you said, if you can acknowledge it and understand it from a different perspective, if you can get kind of ahead of it, put yourself in that space between uh, the idea behind it and be like, okay, why am I so scared of this bill? And be like, well, it represents uh, the losing of money and the losing of money represents being in the poorhouse, and that represents starving and dying. So down the line, if you follow the, if you follow the connections, it's still, you know, it still seems like you're going to die. So it's still that same fear. But a lot of the fears that we experience in our world aren't actually connected to something life-threatening. So that's why we have to develop that space in between to really recognize it and be like, okay, do I need to be afraid of this? Is there something that, that I can do to remedy it? Or should I just kind of just breathe through it and understand this is just an energetic response. And as long as I do something with the energy, whether it be to breathe through it, or even just like, you know, you could literally just go for a quick run, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard this analogy, but like ducks will get in a fight with another duck and they'll like scrap it out for a couple seconds, but then they'll separate, but they still have all this pent up energy because of the, the altercation that they'll just flap their wings like crazy to get rid of the excess energy. So you can kind of do the same thing if something scares you, but you know there's no reason to be scared, but you you can't just turn off the energetic response in you. So, you know, do some push-ups, do some jumping jacks, you know, go for a run, whatever it is. Like, oh my God, that terrified me, but I know I'm going to be okay, but I still have to do something with this energy. So by choosing what to do with the energy rather than just being like, oh, I'm scared now, and then just focusing on the fear and then just believing that it's going to be bad, then you're turning all that potential energy into negative thought, which just creates a cycle over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually a really good lead to another point that I wanted to make is this doesn't necessarily just apply to the fight, flight, freeze, choice responses. It also applies to every thought pattern that we have within ourselves. Mm. Every thought pattern we have is a choice. Mm-hmm. And it is a choice because we can choose to accept it as fully applicable to the current situation, mm-hmm. or we can choose to look at it constructively and know that our mindset is created by a compilation of our past experiences. Mm-hmm. So when we look at a current situation, we're only looking at it with the available information that we have. And we, I think it's important to accept that we don't always have all the available information. 
course, yeah. And, and our subconscious is, like we discussed last one, taking in so much more than what we are actually perceiving. So it's it holds true that we have to force ourselves to look for different things, but looking for different things requires fully new neural pathways that are difficult, uncomfortable mm. to create. And that creation of those new neural pathways, that creation of a new way to look at the world is where the, the choice comes in. And that's a difficult part for people because, you know, like people will say like, well, this is just the way I think, or this mm -hmm. is just the way I see things. Yeah. And it might be a blow to the ego to think like, you know, this, I saw, I know I get, I feel that too. Sometimes I, I feel like I totally saw something in a situation and it wasn't necessarily like that, but it's because of past experiences that I've had like that, mm -hmm. that apply, that I've applied to gain understanding. And it's really brilliant the way people learn. And that's important to know that like our mindsets, like it's not like a negative thing. No, yeah. But, but if we can learn to work with our mindsets and expand them to view even more, and especially to expand them to view th not threats, but the, the neutral and the positive in situations. Like we can't always view the positive, but can we view the neutral as mm. well? And can we move our assumptions from the socialized norms of people are out to get us or people are going to try and get the best for themselves. So it's going to screw us over. Like the competitive mindset is so socialized in us that it really brings us into a space that, that what doesn't really allow us to see the inherent good in people mm -hmm. unless we're choosing to. Mm -hmm. And so that we can bring that bigger picture. And when we're talking about the, the current revolution, evolution, whatever you want to call it that we're in right now, if we can start the new mindset of seeing the inherent good in other people, then it could really change the game globally. Mm -hmm. And but of first you have to start that locally, and before you can even start locally, you have to start that within yourself. So like personal responsibility, number one. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I can attest to that because I used to have very negative ideas about a lot of people I knew, or even people I didn't know. But when I looked at myself and found out what I found negative about myself, and I picked it apart and got to the root of the issue, a uh, hundred percent of the time, it was never that I wanted to do harm. It was never that I wanted to be bad in some way it was always about um like if i was having some negative behavior that was affecting people in my life negatively then it turned out that it was just because i was fearful of something and i didn't want to change anything and i didn't want to accept certain things about myself but when i did that i realized that at the core at the root of all of my behavior it was because i just you know what wanted what everybody else wants, which is just love and acceptance and happiness and understanding, you know? So like then, then after that, once I realized it in myself, it became easy to see it in other people. I would look at people who I used to think were pure evil and only cared about themselves and didn't care about anybody else. But then I could kind of see the progression as to how they got to be that way. It was never about them being like born a bad person or something like that. It was that they experienced some trauma that made them shut down a certain aspect of their own mind that wouldn't allow them to trust others because somebody probably betrayed them when they were a kid and it hurt them so much that they just basically created this programming in them that said, I'm never going to trust anybody again. And then that becomes a, a repeating pattern. And then they don't believe in trust and they start to 
uh, you get that whole uh, echo chamber type of confirmation bias type thing where you only surround yourself with reasons to believe that people aren't trustworthy. And then it be, it's easy to find those reasons. Like there's evidence for that all over the place in our world that people can't be trusted, but there's also evidence that people can be trusted as well. And there's a balance of both and you got to be able to see both. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to keep in mind with the, you know, if, if you're seeing the untrustworthiness in other people or you're seeing the reactiveness or you're seeing whatever traits, problematic traits that you feel are problematic, generational trauma is a, is a thing in, in every society that I've, I've encountered. Mm. Um, even if someone's parents or grandparents didn't seemingly have trauma within their, within their environment, it doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't there even on a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. Like the capacity to love has been an ongoing endeavor for, I want to say the past 80 some years, like in the sixties, things really took off with Mm -hmm. like the the revolution of love, the revolution of consciousness. That's when that Mm -hmm. conversation started publicly. Of course it was probably private or in smaller public settings previous to that, but like the huge public endeavors to move towards the openness of love really didn't happen that long ago. Mm-hmm. And, and previous to that, it was suppressed in such a way that it really did play a huge role in people's lives. Like if you think back to what the family dynamic was in the 30s, 20s, even in the 1800s, there was so much normalized abuse that may not even be seen as abuse in this day and age for some people. Mm-hmm. And the capacity to love that we have presented in those situations has played out in our current dynamic in a state that we don't necessarily fully love each other in an unconditional way, Mm -hmm. especially globally, but also like communally and sometimes not even in family dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important, important to think about when we, when we're working within our own internalized dynamics of trusting other people, because conditional love and unconditional love, like I don't think conditional love is true love mm. in, in my opinion, yeah. but at the same time, it's so normalized, mm-hmm. um, especially in our competitive society yeah. that I think it's so, it's so important to, to even consider, especially when we're considering our own thought processes and our own fight or flight experiences and all those types of things. Like how it all ties together in a bigger picture. But at the end of the day, when we're looking inside ourselves, it's tough because there is so much self-reflection that needs to be done for this new earth to unfold, for this revolution to unfold, for this evolution to unfold. We have to be even open to the ideas of things that we've been suppressing in ourselves for many, many, many generations. Mm for it to even be possible in our outer world. Like our Mm -hmm. inner world needs to shift first. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm just going to take a quick look at my notes. Sure. Okay. So I, I would like to move into a, a discussion about an abundance mindset. Okay. Because this is one of the beliefs that I think needs to change internally before we can have it externally. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty complicated. 
mm-hmm. but it's also pretty simple at the same time. Yeah, there's simple aspects to it, but it it does uh, get it can get pretty complex as well. Yes, and so abundance mindset does tie into what we were just discussing. Abundance mm-hmm. mindset ties into our ability to trust each other, our ability to see the inherent good in each other, our ability to remove the sense of competitiveness and move into a space of no, like if if you logically looked at the world, we do have enough of everything, mm-hmm. but it's the way we have it structured that's causing us to not have enough each. Mm-hmm. And I think that's problematic. Of course. And it is like social structures are, they're not real. Like they're not real in the sense that like you and I are real. We can see, if you look back in history, I mean, every three to 600 years, there's a new power structure in place. Um, Except for the Roman empire took like 1200 years, but like it switched (laughs) over three or four times. It switched over a few times. Yeah. Um, So if you look at that, like we can see that social structures do develop and they do evolve. Mm -hmm. And this is important to consider when we are in our evolution or a revolution right now. We, if we can accept that our social structure is not concrete and it's not permanent and it's something that we've been normalized into, but it's not necessarily the most logical, the most healthy, the most like we can create a better structure. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if we if we have the mindset of lack and we have the mindset of competitiveness, we really can't move into that space of abundance. Mm-hmm. And this is the tricky part because that takes a full overhaul again of the internal world. Yeah. And if we want to move into a space of abundance for everyone, it does mean that we have to deal with the power dynamic situations, especially those of us who have privilege from those situations it's going to seem like we're losing something Mm -hmm. because we are gaining something off the backs of other people. Yeah. And in an abundant world, we're not gaining anything off the back of anyone else. Mm. And there's so many other ways that we can be, we can be structured in that sense, Mm -hmm. but without the personal responsibility of understanding that my gain might have been at the that might have been at the expense of someone else or my gain might be exploiting someone else without having that conversation or even being open to maybe losing a little bit of privilege here or there, or putting in the little bit of extra work. We, we don't really have that reach. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even like, it's funny because usually uh, in any most conversations I have, like especially uh, a few of my other podcast episodes, there would be a lot more back and forth because we had not necessarily conflicting ideas, but we hadn't shared a lot of our ideas together yet. But whereas you and I have talked about this so much and we're pretty much on the same page about absolutely everything. Every time you speak, I'm just like, yep, yep, yep. I got nothing to say. Like I got no response. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, there's nothing to add here. But uh yeah, like I, I think of little things like um, that whole idea of how you say it's got to start internally first. Like, and I think that's really important because um, if you like the the main thing that people tend to uh, lean on when we talk about creating a world that is actually fair for everyone and everyone kind of takes care of each other, everyone's 
uh, basic response to that is usually like, yeah, but most pe- a lot of people don't care. A lot of people are lazy. A lot of people are selfish and there's no, no change in that. And so uh, that kind of world where we all actually work together, um, it just wouldn't work because somebody's going to get greedy and somebody's going to want to take more for themselves. But, you know, my response to that has always been um, that type of greed that comes from the fear of lack or it comes from an, an inadequacy within themselves that make themselves believe that they need to hoard or uh, compile all these material things or even experiences in order to feel good about themselves. But if they already feel whole, if they already feel happy with who they are and content and loved, and they feel like they're safe in society, then they won't have this compulsion to uh, try to rig the system in a way that serves them more than others. So that's why it is uh, something that has to start internally because you can't just say, hey, we're going to start tomorrow. Everything's going to be redistributed and everyone's going to get the same stuff. Somebody's going to have the fear that this system's not going to last and I got to look out for my family. So I'm going to, now that everybody's trusting one another, I'm going to take advantage of that trust and I'm going to start uh, hoarding for myself so that in 10 years time, when this system fails, I'll have enough. And it's that exactly that type of mentality and that fear uh, based mindset that destroys that whole system because somebody wants to, uh, use it for their own advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thinking about what you're saying, like I've never really had this consideration before, but I think it's important is that, you know, community mental health is, is important. Like we, as a society, you know, individual mental health has been so stigmatized even up until recently, like now it's becoming more, more open, mm-hmm. but to deal with the, the, I call it mental health, but like the issues of like lack, which bring on depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and the non-trusting of other people. These are things that as a community, I think we have to address, mm-hmm. but how, like how to do that? No ideas are coming to me in this moment. <laughs> like a, gr- well, a group community group therapy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like it, it would be kind of like a group therapy. It's just that you would just have a, a community of people that, that, uh, that are there for you and are trusting towards you. So then, you know, if you're around that all the time, if you have this, uh, if you have poor mental health and you have that lack of trust and you have, uh, for whatever reason, perhaps you experienced some sort of trauma that of betrayal when you're a kid and it's really deeply ingrained in you. Um, then you would just, well, as the community, the people that are at a, a higher state of consciousness, I guess, or a more harmonious state of consciousness where they don't have that lack of trust within themselves, they would just constantly be with that person who doesn't feel that trust and love and just on the daily show that to them however they can, um, not to necessarily change them. They're not be like, you know, you got to change your mindset. It's not, it's not a forceful thing. It's just, uh, just to speak personally, I suppose, if somebody in my life um, that I knew didn't had that kind of trust and didn't believe in love or didn't believe in the the connection of with other people, then I would just continue doing what I do in that I'll be like, yeah, I trust you. And I believe that you have everything within you. I believe that you are a good person, but you might not even see it yourself, but I just know that it's just, it's being guarded by your own fear. 
And by just demonstrating to them over and over that you're there for them no matter what, even if they betray you, even if they try to hurt you or steal from you or whatever, you would just be like, yeah, I forgive you. It's okay. I understand that you're coming from a place of lack and fear and I've been there before and I'm still here for you no matter what. And if you constantly show that to people, it, I don't know how long it would take depending on how deep the trauma goes, but you know, eventually they will change. You know, they will start to feel this connection be like, oh man, I, I wronged this person and he's still coming back. He's still telling me he loves me every day. He's still telling me he's there for me. He's still listening to my problems. And even though I don't trust him and I think that he's trying to screw me over in some way, if you just keep showing them nothing but unconditional love and unconditional truth, everybody can be reformed or redeemed or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be like your idea is extremely helpful in the sense of creating new belief systems Mm -hmm. because a new belief system, especially in in an adult is formed and created when we encounter a situation, especially consistently that doesn't fit our current belief system. Mm -hmm. Because if we continue to run into this new belief system, then we are forced to create a new normal within ourselves uh, unconsciously, even if we don't want to. Right. And so like every, I call them aha moments, like, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately in our childhood, these aha moments were, you know, the moment where you realize people weren't trustworthy. Yeah, exactly. And so in our adult world, we really have to force that new narrative of like, okay, things happen, but people are inherently good. Mm-hmm. And if, if we, if, if someone is not choosing to make those changes and your suggestion is, well, let's just keep showing them, then their narrative will change regardless of their choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And it's not to like say that you would give them full trust, like say if somebody has like uh, abusive or violent tendencies, you um, like, I've had that conversation before where people like in this world that you want, would there be a jail? I'm like, uh, no. And yes, like there would be like, if somebody was really abusive and you couldn't trust them to not hurt people, then you would have to keep them away from people uh, to some degree. So they wouldn't be hurt. And then you would just have someone be with them who maybe is physically superior or something like that. So they don't have that fear. You know what I mean? And you can be in the same room, like just to take for me, like just to give an example, like if I was, if this was like a younger child, obviously to some level, I would be physically superior and I wouldn't be afraid that they could uh, kill me or do great harm. So I would just be with that child and be like, you know, like, I understand that you want to hurt me. And then if if ever they tried to hurt me, I would just, you know, hold them down or whatever until they got their energy out or whatever. So like eventually it's not like you are putting them in a jail system that we currently have where they're literally in a cage and they get no social interaction and they're in a more competitive uh, type of um, atmosphere than they would be on the outside. And they don't get, you know, uh, proper sunlight, proper exercise. They don't get proper food. So there's nothing there to actually, uh, like induce a positive state of mind, everything that they're experiencing is encouraging a negative state of mind. So, and in that situation, if somebody was being abusive or violent and you needed to separate them from the the community because it's safe, then you would do so. But you'd be like, hey, you know, the only reason why I'm separating you is because you still have violent tendencies and I'm not judging you for it. I just want to know why it is that way. We could try to figure it out together. And if you want to continue to hurt me, I'm just going to hold you down until you stop and then we can talk again. But you just keep going back. You know, you just keep being there for them no matter what. And eventually they're going to run out of fuel and they're going to be like, I, I don't, 
Like I, they're going to realize that they can't exert their power on someone else because ultimately that violent tendency type thing comes from a lack of uh, belief in your own control. Cause like from one point of view, nobody really has control. Like, you know, there's two different perspectives. Like you can take control of yourself, but at the same time, everything is just energy interacting with itself. So who truly is in control, right? You know, there's that whole meta type of question, but if they feel that they don't have that footing in reality and they try to exert and impose their control on someone else, then eventually they're going to have to realize that they don't have that and they got to surrender to something greater than themselves. And then once they surrender to that, they'll start to feel that ease and be like, okay, I don't need to control everything. I can let things flow. And as long as they're in a loving environment, then they'll be more inclined to go with the flow rather than resist it. If everybody around them is loving them and showing them support, then when the person that is uh, basically separating you from someone else says, I'm not going to allow you to do this, then because it's going to hurt people, eventually they're going to understand because they don't, they don't want to, they won't want to like be a part of that violence anymore because they've let go of their own attachment to control. Yeah. Yeah. And I think once these ideas become the social norm, it will be way more of an outlier to even have those situations come up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's super important in with our generation, with the generation below us and above us to really take the effort to make this change so that the future generations don't have to deal with these problems. Exactly. Yeah. And we we've proven this with um, like I think we discussed in the last episode, like the generation below you and I, homophobia is just not on the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. not, but in the generation above me, very common. Um, it's very common. And mm-hmm. so we in the middle, I feel like have done the work to say like, look, we're not having this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, the unnormalization of social norms that are actually not normal <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, like I always say, just because something is normalized doesn't necessarily make it normal. Yeah. The realization of that and the integration of new ideas is the responsibility of the people that are on this earth right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that responsibility, I think, almost seemed out of reach to me until currently when the world had to almost stop. It didn't mm-hmm. fully stop. Mm-hmm. But now that we're in, we're, we're spending more time with our families. We're spending time outside and we're dealing with fear together. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with like, it, it is a very sad issue. What is happening right now. And it's also an opportunity to have these conversations, to make these connections, to spend time with the, the people in our families, to have conversations with people in our families, to really get to know our partners. Like I was told, I think it was a few weeks ago that, you know, someone in a corporate setting, um, I won't share too much details just in case, but mm-hmm. someone in a corporate setting was expressing that, you know, I am in the past month, I feel like I know my kids so much more than I've mm-hmm. even known them in the past 10 to 15 years of my career. Right. Like uh, my kids have hobbies, <laughs> my kids have <laughs> interests. This is amazing. And this yeah. like may seem so simple, but before we didn't have this opportunity. And I never want to, in a pandemic, especially when people are dying, saying this is a positive opportunity, mm. but I want to be opportunistic yeah. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, any, any situation, there's always going to be a, a positive and negative aspect to it. Right. So it's important to acknowledge the negative, like don't ignore it and say, Oh, it's all good. But, uh, 
it's also it's important to acknowledge the negative but focus on the positive put your energy and time into encouraging the positive but still acknowledging the negative and how it works and that's the way you're going to the only way you're going to be able to uh focus on the positive and encourage it is by understanding how the negative works and if you don't understand it you just ignore it and be like i'm just going to pretend everything's good and then then that negative is just somewhere else building up energy essentially. And then when it's going to get to a point where you can no longer ignore it, and then it's going to be stronger than you've ever imagined. So it's good to keep an eye uh, or not necessarily an eye, but just like a, a thought, you know, it's good to know that uh, there can be, there is a negative aspect to this situation, but it's important that we focused on the, po- we focus on the positive and uh, move towards that and encourage that and, you know, nurture it in any way we can. Yeah. Like acknowledging our emotions is super important, Mm -hmm. but also setting the tone for our emotions is super important. Mm. And those are two sides of the same coin, because if we don't acknowledge our emotions, like whether we're angry, sad, upset, happy, whatever it is, if we're trying to force another emotion on top of it, it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. But if we don't take the effort to create the new emotional norm, we're, that's not going to change it either. Mm-hmm. So acknowledging the current emotion and acknowledging in a way like dialectical behavioral therapy says your emotion is always valid, but the intensity may not be. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's important in these in these kinds of change discussions is like, yes, you have these emotions. Yes, they're totally valid, but are they valid? Is the intensity valid? Mm. Is your reasoning maybe valid, but your reasoning may be valid based on your past experiences and not necessarily what's happening in the current situation. And that emotional processing is part of an emotional intelligence that is the personal responsibility. And then on the flip side of that, what kind, once you've processed the, your emotions, once you've acknowledged them, once you've understood them, what kind of emotion do you want to portray as your norm? Mm. What so, do you mean by uh, setting the tone? Is that what? Oh, yeah. So mm. setting an emotional tone is, I work a lot with manifestation. Mm-hmm. And manifestation is a creation of your current reality with thoughts, emotions, actions, etc. And so when you're setting the emotional tone or the emotional vibration for what you're wanting to create, and I always say, like, if you're, if you're going for the gold, just go for gratitude. Gratitude's mm-hmm. a great emotional tone. Mm-hmm. But whatever you put, like, you can tell when you're having a conversation with someone what kind of mood they're in, what mm-hmm. kind of emotion they're in, and it does really affect you. So I always encourage my clients to set the emotional tone of the room before they go in. Like if they're feeling anxiety, if they're feeling fear, acknowledge it. Say, hi, how you doing? <laughs> I feel you. But right now I want to go in with confidence. So I want to feel like if your body doesn't actually know the difference between something you're viewing, something you're imagining and something that's really happening. Yeah. It all feels the same. Yeah. So if you can imagine yourself in a confident situation if you can imagine yourself in a gratitude in an abundant in a in whatever kind of emotion you want to be in your physiological state will change and so we can tie this back to the very beginning of fight flight freeze Mm -hmm. those are emotional tones that have been normalized into our conscious subconscious minds but if we're setting the tone we're acknowledging 
that we're in fight, flight, or freeze. But then we are creating the state that we want to. And so when I do this with clients, I get them to, first I show them by getting them to visualize like a situation that causes them stress and they feel the stress. Mm-hmm. And then I get them to physically shake it off, like get mm-hmm. up and do some movements. And then I get them to visualize something that they're proud of, something that they're confident in, something that they've accomplished. And they have, I get them to hold that feeling. Mm. And then how do you feel after? Like it's the after effects. And there's been debate, like 14 seconds, 21 seconds, Mm. however long you want to do it, no problem. But other people in a room will notice the emotional tone that you're holding. You will feel the emotional tone that you're holding. You're responsible for your emotional tone. And that's important, especially when you're trying to move into a space of, of... away from fight or flight Mm -hmm. and into choice because to make a choice, you can't be reactive. So when you're formulating a new norm for yourself, setting an emotional tone is so important because every day it takes work to like, say you haven't felt calm in 20 years, even feeling calm for one second is is such an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the next week you can do it for two seconds. And maybe next week you can do it for three seconds. And eventually you're doing it for 10 minutes. Yeah. And eventually half year, like maybe five years later, two years later, I don't know how long this depends on how hard you work, but <laughs> yeah. it is work. And that's, yeah. that's the, you're literally forcing, I don't want forcing, you're choosing to have this new experience. You're mm-hmm. allowing yourself to have this new experience. So setting the emotional tone for yourself, I think is, is one of the most important parts in creating this new, this new world. I like yeah. to, because the, the inner world experience, again, does create the outer world experience. Yeah. Um, I know when I'm in a conversation with someone and they're just grumpy as fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. But at the same time, like if I'm in some kind of mood and I roll up to someone and they are loving, caring, compassionate, just accepting of my state, non-judgmental, whatever it is, I feel that and it rubs mm-hmm. off on me. Yeah. And so emotional... Tone setting, emotional intelligence is a, is it's been studied, but it is being studied so much more right now in the psychological world, in the spiritual world, and yeah. even in normal society. It's being discussed. Like people are taking responsibility for their emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find one thing that uh, really works for me is trying to recognize my patterns before I fall into them. So, like if I'm doing something throughout my day. And say if something triggers me, even if it's so subtle, I might not even notice the emotional trigger. I might not even realize that I had an emotional trigger, but then I'll find myself um, acting out certain tendencies. I will want to go watch something so I can distract my mind, or I'll want to eat something so I can feel taste pleasure. I'll want to get away. I, I don't even know what it is I'm trying to get away from. But I'll just be like, ooh, I want this. And I'll just go do it. I'll be like, mm, I'll like go back and get three more tangerines or something. <laughs> like, mm, sugar. You know what I mean? And then, but sometimes I'm like, why do I, I'll stop myself and be like, all that, like, you know, I, I recognize that I have the freedom to do whatever I want when I want. But oftentimes when I just get an urge to go eat or get an urge to just pick up my phone and go on social media or watch a video or something like that, it's often because I am not, at ease with the current moment. And I'll be like, well, what is it that made me so uneasy about this current moment? And then if I 
resist doing the thing that distracts me, then I can just say, okay, just be with your emotions for a second. And I won't even necessarily make it my objective to figure out exactly what I'm feeling, but I'll make it my objective to just be with myself. And I'll be like, okay, so what am I feeling right now? What is true in this moment right now? And I'm like, do I want anything? Yeah, I want something. Why do I want that so bad? Why can't I just be here with my breath? Why isn't my breath good enough for me right now? And I just kind of go through that conversation with myself. And then as long as I don't force it, as long as I don't really need to figure out why, it'll pretty much just be shown to me. And I'll be like, oh yeah, someone said that earlier. And uh, like, I'll give you an example. Like the other day before I published my website, I sent it to a friend of mine. And uh, she ended up publishing, uh, she ended up linking it on her Facebook. And I, one of her friends reached out to me and asked me to talk to her. And I was like, this is great. And then I didn't know that's why she reached out. But then after I spoke to my friend again, she's like, yeah, I put your website up on my Facebook. And that's why my friend reached out to you. And then rather than being, having a positive mindset and thinking, oh, I got somebody to reach out to me. That's great. I'd be like, I was like, oh, well, she published to her Facebook and out of all of her friends, only one person, like my mind went kind of like negative and I didn't, that was kind of my reaction. I never even had the words happen in my head, but it brought me down an emotional level. And then I found myself a little later on, like, why don't I feel good? I didn't know why I didn't feel good. Uh, just like addressing it. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I got, I kind of got like a little bit of disappointment when I found out that I only got one response out of however many people had seen it. And I was like, okay, well, that's no big deal. And plus, that's not your point anyways. The point of doing all this is to make it available. doesn't matter if anybody contacts you. Your objective is to put all this truth and love out there. And if nobody responds, it doesn't matter. It's about putting it out there. That's my objective. It's not to have a bunch of people speak to me. That's not what I'm going for. My objective is to get it out there. So as long as I remind myself of that objective, then I was like, oh, that's true. So I did what I was supposed to do. And then I felt good about it. And then I was able to let go of that disappointment emotion because I no longer cared. I was like, oh, it's no big deal. Like sometimes I feel disappointment because my old patterns of, you know, basically negativity that I lived with my whole life still have some sway if I'm not paying attention. So that's why I have to be very diligent and very alert to what I'm feeling. So sometimes I'll be like, if I find myself having the urge to either eat or distract myself with, uh, social media or videos or whatever, I'll stop myself and be like, okay, there's a reason why I want this so bad, but why is it? Why am I not okay with this moment right now? And then upon observing it and being with it, then the answer comes to me and then I can let it go. And that feeling of letting it go and being like, I just made myself feel better without having to do anything, without needing anything external. And that's, that's an amazing joy. It's better than any you know, food could give me or any video could give me. It's beyond that. It's it's such a higher level of satisfaction. So it, that's, I think it's like really helpful, helpful for anybody to take on that practice is to like, whenever you're feeling an urge to do a pattern of yours that is there to distract you, take some time to just question, be like, okay, maybe I will still go do it, but I just wonder why I want it so bad. I wonder why it's so strong right now. It's not to say you have to resist. Like, I'm not saying I'm giving up TV and I'm not saying I'm giving up uh, tasty food. I'm just questioning the times that I feel an urge to indulge. And I'm like, okay, I want to indulge really bad. Why is that urge so strong? And by talking to myself and figuring it out, I can let it go. And then I might still do the thing, 
but I'm doing it from a higher state of consciousness. And then I don't get sucked into that loop of doing it over, over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to throw in a little tidbit just in case someone listening is like, how the heck do I even start doing this? Yeah, sure. A great first place to start, especially if you find yourself like in a rush to do whatever coping mechanism. And I use the word coping mechanism quite loosely in this, um, whatever it is, and this is weird, but I, I bet you can do it. You stop, sit down, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't matter what you're doing. And even if you can stop and sit there for one second, two seconds, three seconds, it doesn't matter. Acknowledge that that moment, if you can stop the motion, if you can stop the energy mm-hmm. in motion and just take one moment, one breath, even start with one breath and think, what the heck am I doing? Okay, and then go do it, sure. Mm-hmm. And then maybe next time, two breaths, what the heck am I doing? And maybe the next time, three breaths, what the heck am I doing? I think I want to stop. Yeah. That acknowledgement, it like it builds, it builds, it, does, it builds. Yeah. But if you if it's really tough for people, honestly, stop, drop, take a second, take mm-hmm. as many seconds as you can, mm-hmm. consider whatever emotions are coming up in that moment. Remember, you are not your emotions. Your emotions are just a response mm-hmm. and those are a response to your internal and external environment. So our internal environment can be perceived as a threat just as bad as our external environment. Oh yeah. Be. Sometimes worse. <laughs> so if you can just stop, just stop and sit. Like I used to just stop and sit down <laughs> <laughs> and eventually like you, you learn to do that without, without actually physically sitting down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, but if you can stop your your motion, if you can stop your energy in motion, if you can stop your movement, if whatever, if you can just stop. Mm-hmm. It'll give you that brief second. And even if it's just for one second, it's a win. Yeah, exactly. And that just progresses over time. And I can remember kind of when I first started doing these types of things, my mentality would still be there. Like it was as if I got the advice from someone else, you know, like if I heard you say that like 10 years ago, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to sit down. And I would sit down like, yeah. And the the whole time, those five seconds I take or whatever, my mom would be like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And then I'm going to do it anyways. So how am I really learning? How am I really progressing? If I'm just, it's just delaying the gratification. Like you, you're, you, you still have this mentality that nothing's really changing. You're not really doing anything new. You're just following what someone else said and you're just doing the five seconds. But the whole time you're in the five seconds, like I'm not really growing here. I'm not really uh, getting better at this. I'm just choosing to resist for five seconds, but then the urge is still just as strong when I stop the five seconds. So, like, what what would you say is like the best way to deal with that mentality? Yeah. So, creating a new neural network is almost like creating a new pathway in the forest. Like mm-hmm. you are walk, you are used to walking the same path. It could be like the <laughs> the worst directed path in the world, <laughs> yeah. but but it's comfortable for you. Like it's very right. beaten down. There's no brush. There's no tree branches in the way. And so, when creating a new neural network, when creating a new and better path for yourself, when you sit down and even take that one second, you've dug up one piece of earth right out of the new path path and it's uncomfortable but it's sitting in those uncomfortable moments it's delaying that gratification that starts the building of the new neural network Mm -hmm. and that might yeah it will feel 
like nothing, Mm -hmm. but it'll feel uncomfortable. And if you feel uncomfortable, you're building the new path. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're making progress, even if it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. So the uncomfortable feeling is actually a win for people, but it is like, it it does like, that's why I say, and that's why it's always said that like, it takes 21 days to make a pattern. It takes 21 days for your neural network to reformat in a new direction to even start to become the new normal. Yeah. And then once you have the pathway like beaten down into a way that it's comfortable to walk on, the old one will have started growing over. Um, and and yeah. it takes even, it does take longer for those. So then you have like the choice, right? Like mm-hmm. you're making, which way are you going to go? Old way or new way? They're both open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but eventually the, the old pathway is fully going to grow over and the new one's going to be the norm. Yeah. But it starts with that one second. It starts with those five seconds of stop, think, sit with the uncomfortableness, consider it. And then do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's all it takes. You just got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, and that whole mentality of like, this is futile. Like, this is, what's the point of doing this? I'm not really changing. Like, that too is part of that resistance mentality. And then you just have to kind of like address that way of thinking because that way of thinking is due to kind of the same neural pathway that you developed before. It's not only the uncomfortable feeling but it's the way of thinking that just believes something like I can never change. You just be like, yeah, this is pointless. I know how I am. I know that I'm just going to end up doing what I want. I'm never going to learn. <laughs> but you know, you can literally change your brain. You can change the way you think. You can change the way you feel. And you can create whatever brain you want to serve you the best way possible. Yeah. Like your neural network is your norm, but mm. it's your responsibility. And if you're completely unaware of it, it is mostly socialized. Yeah. Um, like we have made choices throughout our lives, but if we're unaware that socialization even creates thought pattern, then we could be running on so many belief systems that are either outdated, untrue, or hurtful to us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like defense mechanisms embed themselves in our thought patterns as positives. Yeah. Because like it's very normal for people to, when you're going into a situation, prepare yourself for the worst or when you're going into like a debate or an argument going over, like, well, if they say this, I'm going to say this, they say that. And like, it's your brain is like, it thinks it's doing a good thing because it's protecting you. Yeah. But then it's, it's causing like, like we just said, like your body doesn't know whether this is true or not. You're going to feel those feelings. You're going to have those emotions anyways. And those emotions are going to ring true for your emotional body. And then your physical body isn't going to know if they're true or not. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be in that state anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that pattern is, is really strong. I find the, the idea of you are creating the worst case scenario so you can be prepared for it. And I know that all too well. That was my whole life. I would like, I'm not going to go and do that because I've already imagined it in my mind. It could go this way and therefore I'm not even going to try it because it could be really bad. And like I used that to resist so many fun things when I was a kid. Like if my friends were going to like a swimming hole and they were jumping off a cliff that was 15 feet up, I'd be like, no, I could slip and I could break my leg. So I'm not even going to try it. Like there's a worst case scenario there that I don't want to risk. So I don't care enough about the fun to do the thing that might end up hurting me. And that was in every aspect. And now it's kind of like, my brain will still prepare for things like arguments and stuff like that. I'll be like, okay, if somebody asks me about this subject that I know about and they throw a question at me, I got to be ready for every single answer. I got to be able to 
express myself truthfully in every single way. But the way I kind of differentiate nowadays is that it's not about, for me, it's not about winning. It's not about proving anything. Like even uh, like a common, a I guess a common uh, conversation I would have is about uh, um, veganism, I suppose. And I don't even necessarily identify as that, but somebody's like, you know, we need to kill animals. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not true. We don't need to. And then, so I'm, I've often like prepared myself for every single thing they could say. And then sometimes I'll notice myself getting attached to it because I'm attached to liberating the animals essentially. But I'm like, I got to let go of that. I got to understand that my objective is truth, not liberation of animals. That would be a very nice side effect. But if I go in it being like, uh, and my main objective was to liberate the animals, then when people are like, nah, I just love my steak, I'm going to get mad. I'm going to get offended and I'm going to start saying things that aren't clear and they're going to see my bias. They're going to see that I'm just doing it from an emotional standpoint and they're not going to respect what I'm saying. So my objective always now is to just, if they're like, yeah, I love my steak. I'd be like, yeah, I understand that. I, and cool if you want to keep doing it. But if you say that you need to, I just disagree. I don't think that's true. And you know, we could talk about why, but sometimes I'll get so deep into it that I'll be like, no, you, you, you're not seeing it. Like, you know, there's a much more aggressive type of emotion coming from there. I'm like, no, do you realize what you're doing? Watch factory farm videos. Like, you know what I mean? Like I get all pissed off, but that doesn't help anyone. You know, if anything, they'll like, honestly, it might, some people might like take that attack and be like, well, this guy's so mad that I'm doing this just because I eat steak. And then they might reconsider, but off more often than not, if you challenge somebody with an emotion, then they are going to, uh, they're going to back down and just think you're just, you're not actually educated, they'll just think that you're doing it out of an emotional standpoint and they won't respect anything you say. So it's, it's always more productive to go at it from truth and not from what you want. So for me, like it's always been that case. Like it's always about sharing what I know to be truth. And if somebody doesn't want it, then that's cool. They can just let it go. I'm like, here's what I know, take it or leave it. And as long as I maintain that mentality, more often than not, people really consider what I say rather than me trying to shove it down their throat, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in that, I've been in that conversation so many times that, you know, my go-to now is when someone brings it up with me, I just, what you put in your mouth is your business mm -hmm. and that stops them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, what I put in my mouth is also my business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I have when, yeah, whenever, like I find people get very emotional on both sides of that conversation mm -hmm. and it is really difficult to navigate, but it's, and that, that brings it to like a bigger point of like when something is so normalized for someone, when someone finds joy, when someone is like finds enjoyment in the process of something, they, they won't necessarily want to find fault in it. And if there is fault brought to it, then they don't want to take that fault on personally. Right. And it does take a lot for people to even consider like, you know what, if you want to eat meat, cool. But like, can we not factory farm? Mm. And like, if you're not okay with hunting or killing your own animals, is there a dissonance there mm. that maybe like, sure, maybe you want to pay someone else to do it with you mm -hmm. um, or for you, not with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, well, with you, maybe you want someone to help you, but <laughs> a hunting but like, guide. Yeah. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, sure. um, like I don't eat animals, but my dad's a hunter and it mm -hmm. took us 10 years to come to terms with 
you know, and it, 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 it took me a while. It did. It took me a while to come to terms with it. And it took a long time for him to come to terms with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he, you know, grew up in BC. It's totally normal for him. And so like our social norms needed to, needed to find that common ground. And that common yeah. ground is that like he could respect my views on factory farming and I can respect that like 90% of the meat in his household was, was went and he went and got it. Mm-hmm. He, did, he did it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, that the middle ground, I think is a tough one for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you see something as injustice, you're going to want to yell it from the rooftops and be like, try to go and force everybody to change their views. Right. And, uh, for me, that's just, that can't be my approach. I appreciate the people that do like, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the people that are out there and like stopping, uh, trucks, when they're filled with chickens and stuff like that and being like, we just want you to stop for a couple minutes so we can, you know, give the chicken some water or whatever, because just having that intervention, just being there to do that, it starts to normalize the idea that not everybody is on board with this. Just because the majority of the world is supporting factory farming doesn't mean the majority of, not doesn't mean that everybody in the world is a fan of it and that they, they approve of it. So I appreciate the activists who do whatever they can to change things. But my approach is always just truth because at the end of the day, I have no, uh, you know, I have no attachment to what happens. My, my only attachment is to truth and sharing that what I know to be true. Um, and as a result, when you share what you know to be truth, things do change, but the change is not what I'm going for. It is yeah. what is a nice side effect, but it's not my, it's not my primary intention. And I thought about that a lot lately too. I remember thinking about this last night is that sometimes uh, you can have a couple different intentions and then there's the primary intention and then there's uh, basically other things that can happen as a result that you would accept and that you appreciate, but they aren't your your uh, primary motive or intention to begin with. And there's it's good to be able to tell the difference between that because... Um, I'll just give you an example. I think the reason why I thought about it was because I was thinking about um, like um, the podcast and uh, promoting it and, you know, uh, sharing way more on social media and stuff like that. Whereas before, like five or six years ago, wasn't that I was against it. I just never respected it when people were constantly like, it, it just always seemed like narcissism to me for people to just promote themselves. You know what I mean? And when I first started realizing these truths within myself, I noticed that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about Mike. It was about what just rang true. It just made sense to me. So I, I always kind of steered away from self-promotion because it seemed cocky or arrogant to me. But now I realize that. So now like I'll, I'll do what gets views. You know what I mean? Like I'll kind of change some of the things I'm posting just so it's more helpful for people so they can, they get more information and it, it, it grows my quote brand. Um, and that was something I really didn't like is considering myself a brand. But uh, I know even though my ego might get a little inflated sometimes, like if somebody writes something nice about me or says they really appreciate the podcast or something like that. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's so nice. And I feel good about it. But I know deep down that that's not why I do this. I know that my primary intention is to shred is to spread truth and love. And then the other things, if somebody say they appreciate me, or if they say that I really helped them, that's a lovely bonus. But 
I can do without it as long as I know that my primary intention is to spread truth and love. So like, it's important to know what your primary intention is in a situation because, and there is like a, uh, a mental exercise you could do to figure that out. Like you basically just create a scenario, like, uh, you do a thought experiment, like, okay, well, if I took out this result, would I still do it? Uh, like if I took out, uh, the appreciation I get from people or the admiration of anything I create, would I still do it? And my answer is yes. But if I was getting loads and loads of appreciation and admiration, but I wasn't spreading the truth, would I still do it? And the answer is no, because it's not my primary intention to get admiration. My primary intention is to spread truth. Admiration is just a nice bonus, but I practice letting that go as well because I know how, how impressionable my ego is. And if I start filling with all this admiration and appreciation and praise, then it's very easy to get attached to that for me because I lacked it so much my entire life that young Mike craved it so much. So now whenever somebody says something beautiful about me, I'm like, oh, that's nice, but I got to watch myself because I'll be like so attached to that kind of appreciation that I'll just want more and more of it. And then that's destructive as well. Yeah. Yeah. I find that my, <laughs> the negative criticism that I receive lasts longer in my mind than the positive. Yeah, me too. Which, yeah. which, which is a process that I am working on, but mm-hmm. one that is very normal in our society. Mm-hmm. Well, to see, the thing is the negative can be uh, constructive. You know, if someone's like, you're doing great. Every, I love everything you you're doing. Then you just know to keep doing the same thing. You don't have to think you just keep going in that direction. It's like if you're going down a road and then somebody drives by you and says, yep, this is the right way. Keep going. Then you're not going to change anything. But if somebody drives by you and says, this is the wrong way, you're going to end up somewhere where you don't want to end up. Then you got to stop and pull out your map and be like, what's going on here? How did I mess this up? So when somebody negatively uh, criticizes me, at first I might feel that pang, that shock of like, oh, that sucks. Uh, you know, they, they're, they don't think of me as the way I want them to or something, <laughs> but then I'm just like, yeah, okay. But that doesn't matter what they think, but is there any truth to what they're saying? And, uh, did I not explain myself well enough? Is there something I could change that like, they're basically showing me their misunderstanding. So by showing them, showing me where they are misunderstanding, I can be like, how come they didn't get it? Uh, did I not say it well enough? Uh, did I choose the wrong words? Um, is there something that they're not seeing that I could help them see? And then that way, the next time I get criticized, I I know a little bit better about how to explain whatever I need to explain. So it's not like you we should ignore the the negative criticism. It's that we should take it constructively. And if it's just literally just to harm you, if they're just saying, I don't like you and you suck, then you know, whatever. Be like, I, I understand. It's okay. I get you. I'll I'll see you later. Let me know if you ever want to talk, <laughs> but yeah. you know, you could just be like, but if they're like, yeah, the way you say this sounds stupid and it doesn't make any sense that way, then you'd be like, oh, I wonder what doesn't make sense. And you could even open conversation and be like, could you tell me why it doesn't make sense? You know, can you educate me? Can you help me out? Can you help me understand a little bit more? And then you grow and get better at your craft, you know? So mm-hmm. it's important to uh, acknowledge the negative criticism as well. If it's truly constructive, you know, if it can be constructive. Yeah. Yeah. And I've fallen into those loopholes before. Um, I used to take mm-hmm. constructive criticism all the way. And then one of my mentors pointed out to me, like, you need to stop doing that because not right. all the constructive criticism is great. But if you take it all to heart, you're also taking 
people that what for whatever reason are criticizing you but it's not necessarily about you it's yeah. about them projecting their stuff onto you and you don't need to take that so like being critical of the positive and the negative that come at you mm-hmm. I think it's super important yeah 100 yeah yeah mm-hmm. so i i have a couple more points that i want to bring forward and one could t- one ties really well into what we were just talking about veganism um, but it, I want to bring a bigger picture because okay. um, when we're moving into a new, a new earth, a new state of earth, we have to, in my opinion, be making positive, ethical, moral decisions that benefit us as humanity. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? And it ties really well into what you were saying about veganism, because for example, if you touched, if you were able to touch an object, an item, whatever it is, and see the process from start to finish of how it got produced and then mm. how it was brought to the store and how it was brought to you, would you make decisions differently? Right. For example, if you touched a piece of meat that my dad went and hunted, you would have a much different experience than if you touched a piece of meat that was brought from a factory farm. Yeah. And that goes for everything that goes for the clothes we buy, the food we eat, yeah. the, the non-essential and essential items that we have every day. And this goes from the packaging all the way to the product, to the labor, and to the conditions of the labor, and then the conditions of the country mm-hmm. that, that are created. And so I think if we, if we magically could touch an item and see from start to finish, like the person that created it, the company that created it, the, like all the products, where were they from, what kind of agricultural conditions brought them upon, like brought them upon us, what kind of pesticides were used what kind of like everything everything Mm -hmm. would we be making our decisions differently Mm -hmm. and i think we would but we do have in north america the privilege and i can only speak for north america but this does apply to other parts of the world the privilege of being able to go to a store and not knowing where those things come from yeah and it's important to consider because we also in north america with our lack mindset generally go for a cheaper item. So like, I think I mentioned last time that like Amazon, if your thing is whatever you're selling on Amazon is selling well, then Amazon will find a cheaper source of it and place it there mm-hmm. so that your item will have like the people just click on the cheaper one. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the cheaper one might not be ethically or morally in line with what the person stands for, but there's no, warning label that was like Mm. this was made in a sweatshop or this was made with bpa or unethical materials Mm -hmm. or things that will will harm you or are harming other people Mm -hmm. the extra like there was a study done and i i don't want to give wrong numbers but i feel like it was only (coughs) an extra one to three hundred dollars a year to buy more ethical products okay yeah generally I would fact check this one. I feel yeah. like I got, um, but it wasn't that like, it wasn't that much for a middle-class person. Now, of course this can be problematic for people in lower classes and lower economic classes are a whole other ballpark of things that we have to deal with as a society. Because like I said at the beginning, there is no lack. There is just choice of spreading the abundance within our communities. Mm-hmm. And the choices that we have within that, within the social structures that we currently have, almost make it impossible to have fairly distributed homes, food, et cetera. It's not to say like 
everyone, so I don't know, does everyone deserve the same home? I have no idea. But does everyone deserve a roof over their head? Mm. Definitely. Does everyone deserve food? Definitely. And can we truly call ourselves ourselves an evolved species if we're withholding that from other people? And if we don't understand that our choices every day, especially in where, where are you putting your money? Where are you putting your purchases? Where are you putting your attention? How does that ripple effect outwards and affect other people? It does. Mm -hmm. It truly does. And that again is self-responsibility that especially people with privilege, myself included, it's a hard, it's a bitter taste in your mouth when you take a look at it. And then you know, the feelings of resentment and guilt in our society are so poorly managed that mm. when we feel those things, it is an automatic shutdown. That's one yeah. of those moments that you were talking about that, like, you just want to grab your phone, start scrolling. Maybe you want to start munching on something. You want to just mm. distract your mind instead of sitting with it and thinking like, holy crap, I, I'm responsible yeah. for part of this. And it's an unfortunate thought, but everybody in our, in our privileged society, no matter what the level of privilege is responsible for taking away privilege from others. Mm. And so when we're talking about our economic state, our economic state, our economic structure is not ethical. Mm-hmm. And that is the responsibility of us because as the consumer, like I've heard from so many people, well, I just can't afford to eat ethically. Mm-hmm. I challenge that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Every time. <laughs> I, um, I challenge it because I want people to look at their spending as a whole. Like I've had people tell me, you know what, like I can't afford your help and I'd really love it. And I used to be such a softie that I was like, yeah, sure. Like cheap, whatever you want. And yeah. then I would see pictures of, you know, those people would add me on social media and things like that. And I would see people partying every weekend mm-hmm. or I would see people going out for drinks a few times a week. And I think like you can afford those things. You're just making other choices. And you know what? Even if you truly cannot afford an ethical lifestyle, that is a social problem that we as a society need to deal with. Why? Like, why on earth can we not afford? Like, I understand that, especially in the more recent past, but, you know, past few hundred years, especially when we started mass producing things that like that was the bread and butter. Mm -hmm. It was a whole new world to have factory lines and to to produce things in a way that we've never produced them before. And that was a step towards abundance mm-hmm. in those moments. But now that we've blown up the system so big that we've reduced the cost of labor so, so little mm-hmm. that we're not valuing the labor anymore. We're just valuing what is the cheapest product so everyone can afford it. We're yeah. not even questioning why can't people afford it. Yeah, And that's where the, the mindset and the self-responsibility comes in mindset and responsibility within abundance and within removing unethical treatment and unethical practices from our society starts with change Mm -hmm. and change is uncomfortable. (laughs) And if you don't want to stop and sit with the change, then you're not really going to go very, very far with it. But if you do want to stop and sit with the change, even for just a second, Mm -hmm. it will make all the difference in the world. Yeah, it really will. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. <laughs> yeah. So I like the idea that you're saying, I remember we were talking about this before too, is like basically voting with your dollar, you know, finding out exactly what it is, where the products that you're buying are coming from and are there better options? 
can you do, uh, can you spend a few more cents? Like, um, just for an example, like, uh, when it comes to food and stuff like that, I know that by, uh, not supporting factory farming, I'm not done. You know what I mean? Like I'll go to the grocery store and there's still the option of like organic or not organic. And to me, uh, that's a big thing for my own personal health is that I know that I would rather have food that had, I don't even know if organic is completely pesticide free because like those labels can't be trusted, <laughs> but you know, with less harmful chemicals. So I, you know, if a pack of tomatoes costs 60 cents more to get the organic one, I'll make that decision. They have a little bit better practices, but that doesn't mean that we're done there. You know, we still have to change the systems in general because all of them have flaws still. So by just voting with your dollar and only making the choices that you can, that uh, will contribute to a more ethical practice across the board. It's just showing the industry what you want. You know, your capitalism works in that way. You know, we are using capitalism now to create the world we want. You know, like just to go back to the whole veganism movement, uh, Big dairy companies aren't making plant milk because they're ethical. They're doing it because they're realizing the trend that people are moving away from cow dairy and they're like, okay, well, you know, we got, we got to make some almond milk or we got to make some soy milk because there's a lot more customers for it now. And if we want to remain a business, we have to do it. So whatever gets them doing it, I don't care. <laughs> you know, as long as if we keep voting with our dollar and saying we want this instead of that, then we will create the world we want to see. And then we'll be so equipped and so strong in our standpoint with what we have then that we won't even need the monetary system in general. Because like now we've, we've given all of our money to uh, sustainable energy sources. We've given all of our money to uh, sustainable like building sources and stuff like that. So then if we create these industries that truly do help the people, eventually you'll get to a point where though like everybody's simply taken care of, you know, if you can create an industry that's trying to uh, give heat and light to everybody in the world, then eventually they're going to not make any profits anymore because they're going to get to a point where they got no new customers and all their, their systems are actually functioning properly. So that's when capitalism kind of implodes because it, it is capitalism by its very nature is self-destructive because the more you try to have growth, the more people are going to wonder what growth is and they're going to be like what's the best way to go about this and they're going to have conversations like this and they're going to have thoughts of like well well what's the ideal the ideal is that everybody has everything they need so then we're going to go towards that with our idea of growth and eventually we get to a point that we no longer need the system to support and prop up itself anymore the system can fall away and uh and then you can actually have the world we want because of that it's kind of like it is it's kind of axiomatic to like how uh, the internal works too. You once you recognize your own ego, you use your ego to kill itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? You start like I know that my ego is self-destructive, but now I'm going to create an ego that is more productive. So I'm going to start getting joy from helping people, and it's going to give me great joy to help people. And then eventually you're going to get to a point that you no longer do it for your own personal joy. And then you're no longer doing it from an ego standpoint. You're doing it because it's just what feels right. It's not about making yourself feel righteous and be like, yeah, I, I helped this homeless person today. I fed somebody who was starving and, you know, look at me and post it on social media just to get likes. That's going to start to feel vacuous to you. You're no longer going to 
you're going to feel empty when you do that. But if you do it for the right reasons, then you're going to feel a different kind of fulfillment. And then your ego is basically not even going to exist anymore uh, because you've encouraged the aspects of your ego that are only uh, that which represent a state of togetherness and union with all rather than separation. So like, yeah, it's pretty cool how if you vote with your dollar and you choose what you want to be the most ethical and moral, eventually capitalism will self-destruct. And if you do the same thing with your ego, you only develop habits and patterns that encourage you to be healthy and happy and strong and thus creating a state of mind within yourself that allows you to help others become happy, healthy, and strong, then eventually your ego will self-destruct because you won't have this idea of separation anymore. You won't have this idea of like, I'm good or I'm bad or I'm different. It's all going to be like, yeah, I'm just a part of everything and I'm just playing my role. Yeah. Yeah. Like healthy ego mindset is a, is a development. It is a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a moving away from fear. And we as a society fear change so much. Like we, I know like history seems so long, but it's proven time and time again that like we have always, we have always stood against a moral and ethical development. Mm-hmm. within society so is this the time that we won't stand in our own way mm-hmm. maybe and it takes just the little 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 additions little little additions mm-hmm. like it makes me think I, like i was watching one of the new star wars i don't remember which one it was um a few nights ago and it was cool i had this moment of realization for this podcast because mm-hmm. um, they were they were the, you know, the the resistance was going in for their fight and there was only like five or six of them. I forget how many, that's not the right number, maybe 10. <laughs> and, and they're, they're trying to back up the, you know what? I'm not good with the new star Wars, but the, the new, the new leader girl, the new Jedi. Okay. Whatever her name is. <laughs> Sorry, star Wars fans. <laughs> I love star Wars. I'm just the old ones. Great. The new ones, they're decent. I like them. Right. Um, they, Anyway, so the resistance was going in and they were going to back up their friend and they were going into battle and they thought that so much backup was coming. And when it looked like hope was like this close to being gone, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ships showed up and it mm. zooms into one of the captains of the dark side. And they, he says like, the resistance doesn't have an army. Who is this? And someone else says, that's not an army. That's just people. Mm. And I had this moment <laughs> where I was like, oh, that's cool. Yes. <laughs> like if everyone showed up and like you said, voted with their dollar, if everyone showed mm. up and made moral and ethical choices, if everyone showed up in a trusting way, we would no longer be accepting these new belief systems and we would be taking them down together. But it's like, we no longer have to ask for permission to do these things. We can vote with our dollar as we please. We don't have to support the economic systems that we're currently upholding. Every day, that is a choice. And that choice is, it's tricky because we feel like social norms are real. We feel like our social structure is real. (laughs) And it's always been interesting to me to view people that see the economic system that we have as so permanent. And something that like we like, sure, if you want to grow it and you want to develop it and you love it, all the power to you. But to me, I've never seen it as a real thing. And so in the study of economics, 
I'm always wary to get too deep into it because I see it as a, such a problematic system that like my position in this world is to change it. And if I'm unable to, if I'm unable to see it in a way that I'm like, I see this thing and I see it as a social construct. And I know all social constructs are not truly real. They are developed by humans. If I start to fall into the fallacy of this is real and this is what we have to fix, like why would you fix a house with a rotting frame? Mm. You wouldn't. You would have to take the whole frame down and rebuild something bigger and better. Maybe not bigger. <laughs> <laughs> That's a capitalist fallacy. But it's maybe something better and something yeah. more suiting for us and something that's structured in a way that will uphold us in the future. Like who knows if this evolution, revolutionary state will last more than a hundred years, but that's fine because we have to be open to the change of it developing as it needs to. Maybe yeah. the decisions we make today won't fit in 50 years, but then who's to say that they don't serve us for the next 50 years and then we enhance them. Mm-hmm. But it's the fear of change and it's the fear of letting go of something that we perceive as real. Yeah. And I think is standing in the way of this quote unquote new earth. And I think the new earth is Honestly, if you want to go spiritual, revolution of consciousness. If you don't do spirituality, totally cool. Revolution of morality. Wherever you see it, it is, it's happening. It's all connected anyways, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. And so wherever you stand on it, even if you're totally opposed to it, that's fine. It's just even acknowledging that it's there. Mm-hmm. Hello, thank you. You hate me, but it's cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> no problem because we need to have the conversations that like, you know, maybe the ideas of the people that are moving so progressively forward, maybe, maybe we're not keeping in mind things that want to, like if there's someone that wants to hold things back, why? Mm. And it's totally great to have that conversation because if we don't have that conversation, we're not going to learn how to care for everybody. Yeah, and. Like it's tricky because some people, well, this doesn't consider me or this doesn't think of me or this doesn't take into account X, Y, and Z that affects me. I want to hear that and I want to help it. You know what I mean? Like, I think I said in the last podcast, like people from Fort McMurray really do want to keep oil and gas up and running. Do they want to keep oil and gas up and running or do they want to keep their job and their current financial state up and running? And like, that is possible while phasing into and i say phasing because like people are very black and white Mm -hmm. i have fallen into that so many times we will never just stop using fossil fuels Mm. sorry not never we in this moment can't just stop like stop instantly you mean yeah there's no instant like cut off yeah that would throw everything in a whack (laughs) everything (laughs) yeah exactly but but the main arguments i see are like okay well if you're anti-oil and gas then maybe you don't like heating your house or maybe you don't like driving like (laughs) no (laughs) i love those things and i am i personally would be willing to give up a few privileges here and there to put money into developing new ways of obtaining that like hybrid cars great solar power cars great teslas love them (laughs) you know what i mean but at the same time those things are the more expensive the more expensive components right now yeah and you know one of my cousins has made a good point about you know what you're talking about organic food 
she said, like, if you can afford to put money into it, do it because, you know, that's how capitalism works. Yeah. If we're putting more money into it, the cost will eventually go down. But like those of us that are in the positions to put the money into these new structures, is it our responsibility to do so? Mm-hmm. And if we're hoarding our wealth and not putting our money into things that we find helpful for the rest of the world, who are we benefiting? And then if we're benefiting ourselves, is it because we are in a fear mindset and we're afraid that we eventually will not have enough? It all loops. But mm-hmm. I think the, the choices we make right now need to develop a new economic system. And that economic system can eventually benefit the entire world, but it has to start locally and it has to start within our own choices. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one thing I thought of when you were saying that is that uh, when you said, uh, you know, build with the analogy, build a new house and build it uh, better and bigger, but then you stopped yourself and said, maybe not bigger. And uh, it just made me think about how a lot of people will resist this change because they think it's going to be worse on some level. Like they're not going to have access to the luxuries they once had. And for me, I see that as being a possibility. Sure. Like in the transition, but we can create a world where you can have absolutely anything you want and you would have access to everything. There's no, it's an access. It's an abundance of access, really. Like anything you desire can be available to you. So um, that's the way I see it. And like, I just feel like maybe the transition might be, you know, you got to make some sacrifices, but it'll be better for you and it'll be better for the generations to come. So if like you have children or grandchildren or something like that, you are doing, you're making sacrifices for them. And it just made me think like, what would you say to those people that say, you know, I would love to have this free world where everybody's taken care of, but like, am I still going to have my luxuries? Am I still going to have all the things I once loved? You know, how are we going to create a world? Like, I think everybody's mindset is of, uh, when we do this, it's going to be like communism that we all get the bare minimum. You know what I mean? The What we need to survive. <clears throat> but then after that, we're not going to have anything else. But uh, where I know we both talked about this before, but like you consider the the Venus Project and how, you know, it's a completely new social system, but it is one of abundance. Uh, they, they use um, our know-how and technology and all of our resources. They use them in a way that we create not only enough for everyone, but more than enough for everyone to the point that we got everything we would need in every situation. So how would you handle that type of uh, criticism? If someone said, yeah, I I still want my, my things and I don't want to give that up. I don't want to go to a shittier lifestyle just because some people aren't getting everything they need. Yeah. Yeah. And I've considered that honestly, and I just see it as another abundance mindset and Mm. Truly, what is to stop some people from making it their goal to ensure that people have luxuries? Maybe there is some people that like, I know that like you and me, we're going to be working on things like uh, making sure everyone has basic needs, making sure everyone's needs are met, figuring out the best things for the planet, figuring out the best things for everyone. But who's to say that it's not a positive thing that whoever is concerned about this takes it as their own responsibility to ensure that luxuries don't go mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to the wind. Like that's not a bad thing because when we just like at the end of our last podcast, we were discussing creativity in new earth and how that would be a positive thing that we can move into. And there does need to be people that are, are moving into 
or taking responsibility for the things that people like you and I would not be concerned about. Like, do we need these luxuries? No. So, (laughs) you know, you and I would be working on different things, but if that's honestly a concern to you, make it your concern to make sure that this stuff is available to everybody. And how is that even possible? You know, that person might have tons of ideas that like our brain power is on something else, but their brain power could be on creating a comfortable world for people. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, the luxuries that come from our creativities don't have to be a lost art. But that being said, for me, it's not my main goal, Mm -hmm. but for you, if it is all the power to you and I love it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and yeah. You know what I mean? Like we need people that like, when I say like the self-responsibility is key, like self-responsibility really is key. If you think that something's important, there might only be a handful of people that might see that thing as important. There might be hundreds of people that see that as important. But at the end of the day, if someone doesn't say, Hey, I'm taking responsibility for this and I want to develop it. Great. Mm-hmm. Like, it's great. Like I know there's going to be tons and tons of people that are moving, going to be moving into making the world a more fair economic place, a more fair within like food, shelter, those sorts of things. Um, There's lots of people interested in that. And there are going to be lots of people that are interested in keeping the, the little perks of life. Yeah. And you know what? That's not, that's not a negative thing. No, not at all. No. And in working together, I would see it as a positive thing for somebody to take responsibility for making sure that, you know, when the heavy work is done and everyone has food and everyone has shelter, does everyone deserve a little fun? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. See, that's, that's the thing is like the primary intention again is just to get our basic needs met, but I'm, we're not going to stop there. You know, like once the basic needs are met, that's when we get to have fun. That's when we get to explore and grow and, and have new experiences, you know, like, when, when everything's taken care of and everything's in abundance, then everybody can do exactly what they want. Like that's literally the world we're trying to create is one where everybody has the freedom to do exactly what they want. And like, uh, I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine uh, last summer. He's like, yeah, well, he's like, what am I going to do in that situation? Like if we're just, I was like, do what you want. You know, like he's a, he loves snowboarding. I was like, go snowboarding every day. And he's a, he's a firefighter as well. So I was like, it's not like you're going to, give up your job. It's just like, you're going to do everything you ever want all the time. You're going to snowboard, you're going to travel, you're going to eat whatever you want. You're going to fuck, you're going to do all the things you enjoy, you know, like why not? Who cares? As long as you're not harming anyone, go nuts. But then I was like, but you might always have your phone on you. And uh, since you're so free, whenever you get a call that says, Hey, there's a fire, you're going to go help fight it because you have that skill. Not that you have to do it, 10 hours a day, six days a week. You know what I mean? It's you're going to, you have that skill. So you're going to continue to use that skill. And another uh, friend of mine who's a paramedic, I'm like in in a perfect world, you would still help people uh, when they're sick. If they're in an emergency situation, you would go help them and everybody's going to do the things they want, but they'll still also play their roles in society. But you're not, you're not limited to only that one role. You're going to be doing whatever you want all the time. But since you're free, you're going to be happy to help. You're going to be happy to go fight that fire. You're going to be happy to go uh, save a man who's having a heart attack because you are fulfilled in your everyday life. You are free to choose and do whatever you want. So why wouldn't you help 
given the opportunity. It's not going to be about money anymore. You don't care if you get a paycheck. You're not going to say, I'm not going to fight that fire because I'm not getting paid. You're not going to care about getting paid because you got everything you need. Yeah. So I think that the tricky part, and like it, it does tie into what we were saying before, is when this change does happen, the part that I think people fear, the part that pe- people may lose the luxuries, the part that it is that we will lose a labor force of people that are undervalued in their work, of people that don't find joy in their work, people that don't find fulfillment in their work. But this is this is a key component because that's a part of the society that we need to phase out. Mm. Without it, we can't prop up our privilege, our current privilege. Does that mean that we can't find privilege and abundance for all in the future? No. Mm-hmm. But does it mean that we need to rely on the privilege, sorry, not the privilege, does that mean we need to rely on the unethical labor of others or the unfulfilling labor of others to fulfill our our leisure needs? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like the, the Walmart greeter is worth so much more than that, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and And so... That, that I think, is one of the essential things that we do need to consider. Like, are there people that are going to want to still work the snowboard lift? Like, mm. maybe that is something that we have to deal with, but there does need to be people thinking of solutions for those things. It's right. not necessarily like we're going to lose them, but we have to consider that we are going to lose the current labor that we have for them. Mm. And that's a conversation that we need to have, and that could have so many solutions. Yeah. And that's what I mean by like the solutions we have for the next 50 years might not be applicable for the next 100, 200 years, but it's because we're always going to be having better and better, better solutions. Yeah, exactly. And like uh, the example you gave about uh, the snowboard lift, like well, in, in a world where we're all truly free to do what we want and please, like we're going to be okay with taking on the responsibility of maintaining that. Like, don't you want to keep it going where you're free to do whatever you want? So like in order to do that, Maybe uh, like you could volunteer, be like, okay, I'm free out of the entire week. Um, there are uh, however many hours in a week. Out of those, there are three hours that I will give to operating the snowboard lift. And then the rest of it, I could snowboard myself for like 20 hours each week. You know what I mean? Like you're going to be okay with doing that. You're not going to care about getting paid. You're not going to care about getting rewarded because your reward is your free life. But then you're like, I want to maintain the system. I'm a part of it. And you'll feel that responsibility towards it. And you'll feel that level of connection and and that part of being that community. Like basically what we need to do is, is use everything we know, like whether uh, all the technologies to, you know, uh, set up self-growing greenhouses essentially. And then we just have some people check on them and make sure that they're maintained. And then for the most part, we could just have it run by AI completely. And then somebody just makes sure the AI is running uh, the way it's supposed to. So then all of our food is taken care of. And then we have um, uh, a reallocation of resources to the point that we use all the metal and, and steel or, or even concrete or hemp concrete to build all the, all the houses we need. And then we could literally program AI to design them the best way possible to be like, hurricane resistant and flood resistant and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like we have the know-how, we have the knowledge, we have the resources and we have the technology to do all these things. And then for 
however many years, it's all it's going to take is just maintenance. You just check up on it every now and then. We'll all play that part. If you're good at computers and you're you understand AI, then you will be the guy to make sure the AI is running well. If you're good at with your hands and stuff like that, you'll go in and do see how the functioning cogs and wheels are going. You know what I mean? Like everybody's has different skills, so everybody's going to volunteer their skill to maintain this system that truly supports everyone so we can all live in abundance together. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, that heavy work I think is, I want to say it's our responsibility. It doesn't have to be, if Mm -hmm. you really choose, like, you know, this isn't for me, it doesn't mean that there's not at least, you know, I, I feel like almost everyone I know would be on board. There is a few people that I know that are very overworked and very tired mm-hmm. that that wouldn't want to be. But I know that so many people might, and I speak for myself, definitely, I would be as involved as I can because I know that, you know, when you look back in history, you're always grateful for the people that put in the work. Mm-hmm. But then in the moment, you like, am I going to lose free time? Like, yeah. I wouldn't even look at it that way because, yeah. you know, when we're our society as a whole, I want to say a high percent of people, I'm not going to make a guess at the exact number, but most people find their jobs unfulfilling. Mm -hmm. And even if we find fulfillment in our jobs, are we just working to live? Would we have that job if we didn't have to? Yeah. And so I think if we started looking at our economic state as one that we could set up in a way that makes more sense, makes more logical sense for us, as opposed to one that's in competition or one that is um, propped up on, like if if our economic state would fail because we removed unethical labor, then we should not have that economic state anyways, in my opinion, because we claim to be the, the most intelligent species on this earth. But if we're really doing that to each other, mm. it doesn't really make sense in my mind, mm-hmm. from an ethical or moral standpoint. Yeah. But, you know, when I bring this up in conversation, I am critiqued to say, like, you know, ethics and morality aren't necessarily part of the human condition, but I always argue that, you know, maybe they're not part of our current socialized state, but they could be. They really yeah. could be. At the end of the day, yeah, like, we, we might feel... We did. Totally. We could feel good because we made these great business deals that that have gained us so much money, but there is always going to be that small little pang of guilt if we've done anything ethical or immoral to get there. Yeah, And it's not to say every company's like that. There's times, especially recently, there's mm-hmm. so many companies that, you know, ethically and are morally aligned with the way that the new earth is going. And so many people in our generation and below and above, are supporting those things Mm -hmm. but then there's still that abundance mindset there's still that lack mindset there's still that mindset if i need to squirrel pile to ensure that i'm good for the rest of my life and it's that kind of change it's the change in that mindset and it's the change in those decisions which is going to make changes in our economic state in our governing state then locally to globally but again i could only speak for you know, I don't even want to say North America, but for Canada specifically, because I don't know the social constructs of other places in the world mm-hmm. um, and how they feel about change. And I think that's an important part of what we're considering is the the diversity in our world needs to be respected. And I feel like 
honestly, everyone in the world understands privilege and they understand moral and ethical choices. And I, I want to give everyone credit for that. Like, I don't think anyone just doesn't understand that. I feel like people are smart. People are intelligent. People know when they, whether consciously or subconsciously, are taking advantage of other people. And they also know when their choices are morally or ethically aligned. But when you, when those choices and those decisions and those mindsets are fuzzy and phased because they have this big economy in front of it, and then we're making choices based on that social structure, it's very different. And so at the end of the day, it just comes down to a choice in mindset. And when we choose to make that change and we start seeking out other people that are like-minded and not even like fully like-minded, like when I have my community discussions, we have a whole range of different people in that conversation. But at the end of the day, our main goal is to be aware that everyone in this conversation is, they want change. And whether we all want change in the same thing or we want change in different things, we're just aware that the social structure is changing and we all need to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is, I feel like it's beautifully, it's got a little bow on top of it right now. Yeah. The conversation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Is there anything else that uh, you had written down that you want to go over? No, I think just in summary, whether we want to believe it or not, our social structure is created by us. It's not real. Mm-hmm. What's real is us, people. And if our economic structure is so unethical that we cannot determine what is good or bad based on like we can't determine good or bad because we're blinded by you know advertisements sales choices storefronts Mm -hmm. everything like that and we're just propping up our privilege on the backs of other people we as intelligent humans need to stop doing that Mm -hmm. um and if we we want to maintain ourselves if we want to be realistic And we have to know that if there was one drop of blood, if there was one unethical sweat drop in anything that we purchase, phasing that out is our personal responsibility. Like we can want change all we want, but if we take no action towards it, it's not going to happen. And I know bigger picture, it is changing massively, but for the everyday person that's not actively involved in social change, please vote with your dollar. Even if you feel like it's, not working for you in the moment have a conversation with whoever you feel called to have this conversation with and bring the problems that you see to the attention of your local community your global community however you want to do it but like open up that conversation for change yeah please (laughs) please yeah 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 um i was thinking about some ways some just like little ideas of ways you can go about it. And one that I thought of the other night was like, now that we're not using such big structures, such as like stadiums and stuff like that, just imagine if we uh, set up all those stadiums to be like indoor vertical gardens. Every single city in the world could basically 
start to feed themselves. They wouldn't have to depend. Like right now we're in, I'm in Newfoundland and Newfoundland depends mostly on uh, food that comes from off Island. So it's very easy for us to be in a position where our food source gets cut, gets cut off. And there's talks about uh, building an underground tunnel from Newfoundland to Labrador, or I'm not sure if it would connect in Labrador or Quebec because they're really close to each other, but uh, whichever one, um, there's talks about building that and there'd be billions of dollars that will go into doing so. But if we took that money and used the abundance of land we have here to grow everything we need, um, then we wouldn't ever need to depend on the outside world, the mainland, in order to get our food. And then there's like simple things like that. There's so many different ways we can start to create this world that we see uh, here at home, you know? And uh, one thing I thought myself for a long time, um, but I seen it today again, right before we started this, I was on Instagram and in somebody's story, uh, this guy was driving a Tesla and he said, he's like, I'm on the way to like Arizona or something. And then when I get to Arizona, I'm gonna have to stop and charge up for a few hours. He's like, he's like, just putting it out there, Elon. Why don't your Teslas have solar panels on the roofs of the car? It's like they would constantly be charging themselves. Like it, it seems so obvious that there's an abundance of different ways we can create these self-perpetuating systems. You don't have to stop and plug into the grid in order to get your your energy. You can literally have your car charging as it moves. And there's all kinds of examples like that. Like I spoke uh, to another person on my podcast about it too. It was just like saying that, um, you know, everybody should have some form of exercise in their life. And whether, and if you're doing it inside, you could have like an exercise bike or even like a pulley system that creates a weight. And every time you pull on it, you're creating energy. You could power your own house with the energy you create every time you exercise. And there's, you know, um, I remember hearing this one in another, uh, I think it was a podcast I was listening to someone was saying like having the roads, uh, basically, um, under the pavement, there will be like this, uh, I guess it would be like a magnetic force, like against the pavement itself. So every time a car drives over the pavement, the pushing down of the pavement creates a magnetic charge and you can harness that into like power all the streetlights. You That's know what I mean? a cool idea. Right. So there's so many yeah. different ways that you could create energy by what we're already doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't need to depend on the burning of fossil fuels or, or even just, uh, you don't even need to have big giant dams that have big giant waterfall type, uh, situations that create, uh, that energy too. Yeah. Like I've seen one of those examples, very small scale, very teeny weeny mm -hmm. scale. Um, when I was in Bali, um, you bought a smoothie and then you had the choice. It cost a little bit less and you could put it, they had this bike <laughs> and they put the smoothie in this blender that was attached to the bike. And if you rode the bike, it blended your smoothie. Ah, cool. And then, so if you wanted to use their electricity, it costed more. If you wanted to blend your own smoothie, it costed less. Exactly. And it was fun. Um, I also heard a really good example. My mom told me recently, actually, because we were discussing like, are shopping malls even going to make it through this? Mm. Maybe not. Yeah. And so she pointed out that something that's already being done with shopping malls that I wasn't aware of that's really cool is that um, they're using it, like they would build structures on either side to house elderly people. And then within that mall have all the services that elderly people require so that mm. they, if they, 
if they can't really get that far, they just have to go downstairs and there's a food court, there's the doctor, dentist, everything, clothes, <laughs> stores, like whatever they need is there. Oh, that's beautiful. And it, I was, I was amazed. I was like, that's cool that that's already happening. And, and so I, Wait, I think. Say that that's already happening. Yeah, there are already, they've oh, already wow. done that in a few. And so I think a good place to like leave this podcast is that there are so many of these things already happening. Like this isn't something that we have to just start fresh from like, Mm -hmm. you know, inspired today, let's start today. No, this is something that's started for many, many, many years. And if we really put the bigger picture together from all the little things or all the big things, all the medium things, all the things that people are already doing, we're not all the people like this evolution. I always say this revolution is different because we're not asking for permission. We're just doing it. Yeah. And eventually the bigger picture will be painted. Yeah. But it's the process of creating that bigger picture that is the responsibility of each person. And if really, if you don't want to be actively involved, please just vote with your dollar. But please know, especially activists out there, that like the bigger picture is already being presented Mm -hmm. because there's so many little pictures being painted by the individual people or by groups of people. Yeah. And whether it's actual movement or whether it's conversation, it doesn't matter because the picture eventually, like the the puzzle will be put together. There's just the missing pieces every day are becoming less and less. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, that was wonderful. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And I I feel it all the time. Like I feel that shift all the time towards a truly free and harmonious world it's it's there it's already in my consciousness uh it's already in my life in so many ways and now we're just pushing it outward and not even pushing it's not the greatest word but you know what i mean yeah emanating it it's like yeah, yeah this is the way it can be and everybody's playing that role like you said we got activists we got people just talk about it we got people just vote with their dollar everybody's playing a significant role we need all those people to do all those things and then mm-hmm. some people do multiple things and, yeah. you know, we all just work yeah. together and create. And we need the critiques too. If you're like, this whole thing is problematic and the way yeah. you guys are going is not considering me. I want to, like, we want to hear it. We yes, do. exactly. Tell Activists me why. give a shit about you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to leave anyone behind. We're not going to leave the capitalists in the dirt and be like, you screwed up. You put us in this position. You're done for we're going to say, hey, why don't you want to come with us? <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> what make space for you. Yes, exactly, right? Nothing but love for everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I feel so good now. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a great part, too. <laughs> yeah, it was excellent. It was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I can't think of anything else I want to talk about because I feel like all the subjects we, we went over, we could just talk more on them, mm-hmm. but, you know. It's yeah. just uh well I'm sure I'll be back someday. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. All right. So shall we call it a day from here? We will. Excellent. Okay. <laughs>